So, in John chapter uh, 17 and verse 15, this is part of Jesus' prayer uh, for his disciples and not just those that were gathered uh, there, his 12 disciples and whoever else was in the entourage, but as he mentions in the prayer, he's also praying for us, for you and I, for all those who will believe in him after that initial group of disciples. He prays for a number of things. He prays uh, in, in large part for the unity of the church. But in verse 15, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is one of those references where Jesus mentions the evil one or the Satan. Uh, there are a number of different names in the scripture uh, for Satan or the evil one. Uh, but so we're not going to go into all of that. But uh, one of the things I just want to start with is to say that one of Jesus' primary concerns for us was that we would be protected from the evil one. Apparently, this issue was big enough for Jesus to pray about for us uh, to the Father in this sort of grand finale prayer of the things he was most concerned about. A survey taken, I think it's been about 20 years ago now, showed that only one-third of Americans believe that Satan is a real entity at all. Those are just a couple things I would like to have floating in your mind as we continue. Maybe you've watched the movie, Lawrence of Arabia. Anybody? One, two, five, six. All right, kids. To get on that. This is a story about uh, really one of the foundational elements of the reestablishment of Israel. Uh, the Turks had a tight grip on the area of Palestine, the area of uh, you know what is currently Israel, and for that reason and for a number of other reasons, the British Empire wanted to take out the Turks. They wanted to remove them from uh, being in power over this area. But there was a fortress, a port city called Aqaba. I think I'm saying that right. And this was sort of this impregnable stronghold. There was no way in. Uh, you, you know, if you, if you brought the Navy in, they had these massive guns uh, lining uh, both sides of the Strait of Aqaba. And your navy was just going to get destroyed. And outside of Aqaba, there was this massive desert that nobody was ever going to cross. You could never bring an army across that desert. And so the Turks felt very secure. The story of Lawrence, Sir Lawrence, is that story of somebody who decided to do the impossible what was thought to be impossible. He uh, gathered together a group of people who were basically as insane as he was, some even more insane, and they marched multiple days across 
a desert that nobody was supposed to be able to march across, and they attacked this city from a place that it did not ever expect to be attacked from. The defenses were weak, and Aqaba fell, and the Turks had to relinquish control over the area. And so that's where uh, we get the, the uh, Balfour Mandate. Is that, I think that's what it's called. The, the uh, British Mandate to establish a place for Jewish people. It is the classic story of not recognizing the capabilities of your enemy or not even recognizing the presence of your enemies, not recognizing the power of your enemy. And so this city fell. This is something actually that Christians fall into Quite often, we quite often forget that we are in the middle of a very spiritual battle, that we are fighting against a very real enemy. And so it's important from time to time for us to review that fact. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms." Ephesians is a great book, by the way, if you want to get this glimpse of the, the greater story, the, the bigger thing that is happening here. And this is one of those places where we get that glimpse, the fact that we are involved in a very spiritual battle, a, a significant battle, one that we cannot necessarily see with our physical eyes, but one that we should be very, very much aware of. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Peter says to the church, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Earlier in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, it says the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. This is how we fight the spiritual battle, is through prayer, is through obedience. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This may have come, to a, come as a shock to you this morning because you may have been thinking about other things. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that we gather here on Sundays on a regular basis is because we're very good at thinking about other things. I'll give you an example right now. For, for me, did you know that there is a, a sale going on at REI right now? How many of you know that? 
times. I'm not the only one. And what happens to me every year, there's this 20% off coupon. Everybody's aware of that. And what happens to me every year is that I think, oh, what am I going to use my coupon on? And I do a little shopping, and I can't figure it out. I'm confused. Well, should I use it for this? Do I really need that? And suddenly there's this pressure to buy something with this 20% coupon. And what inevitably happens is I don't buy anything because I can't make my decision about which thing to get. And for sure, two or three days afterwards, it pops into my mind. Ah, that's what I should have used the coupon for. So this year, I am determined to use that coupon within the allotted time that REI has given me. I'm determined. So I've been shopping a little bit extra this weekend. The problem is that's totally meaningless. It doesn't matter at all what I buy at REI, whether I do buy something or whether I don't buy something at REI. Absolutely meaningless. Not only does it not matter in eternity, it probably won't even matter next week. It's, it's not going to last very long, the significance of this purchase or the, the not purchasing of that item. But these are the kinds of things that we allow ourselves to be so easily distracted with, right? And we could ramp that up. We could get a little bit more serious, a little bit more serious about different things going on in life. But so many of them are just distractions from the real story, from what really is going on. And it's even more easy to be distracted when we are so very safe, when we feel so very safe, when all the guns are lined up on the Gulf, keeping the Navy out, and when there's a big desert behind us, keeping any armies from attacking from that area. We're doing a few things spiritually to sort of maintain, and we know we kind of have some duties as Christians, and so we're doing some of those things. Maybe some of us have established some patterns that we know, yeah, these are good patterns, they, they feel good, they're the right thing to do, and, and so I'm going to do them, and those patterns are going to keep me safe. I'm here to encourage us to think again. Because over and over and over and over and over in the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, all have a resounding message. Be alert. Keep watch. Be alert. Keep watch. Be diligent. Be disciplined. Because the enemy is prowling. The enemy is determined to come for us is determined to see us fall, to see us fail. The enemy is after us. The enemy is powerful. And we have to be vigilant. The enemy has one goal, one purpose, and that is to destroy us. And we often let ourselves get distracted from the fact that we have an enemy who is after us. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, well, that last passage I just read, um, Ephesians 6 and verse 18, says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So, um, I just, when I read that, I immediately thought of the Ukraine, 
And I thought, okay, I prayed early on. And, you know, if there was a, a chart of, of my prayer life for the Ukraine, it started up here and then went like this. Here, let me do it this way so you guys see which way it goes. It, it goes down and to the right. I'm guessing I'm not the only one for whom that is the case. So a reminder for all of us. But this phrase has always confused me a little bit. Pray in the Spirit at all times. How does one pray in the Spirit? Is this a reference to speaking in some ecstatic tongue that the Spirit enables us to use to pray? Um, is this reaching some sort of higher level of spirituality? Is this making sure we have the right, you know, four or five favorite worship songs sort of leading into our time of prayer so that we can be praying in the Spirit? I'm not sure that it's any of those things. I think it has more to do with obedience. Because being filled with the Spirit has lots to do with obedience. I'm not going to go over the last two sermons. Um, if you'd like to review, uh, please head backwards and do that. Um, I think it has a lot to do with obedience and with praying for the things that the Spirit would pray for. Romans chapter 8, I think, shed some light on this. Romans chapter 8 and starting in verse 5. It says, Those dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So I think controlled by and praying in the Spirit, I think it's kind of in the same realm. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It will never obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Here's the good news. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in within you. So there's this battle going on within us that we have a role in, but God is on our side, to sum that up. I'm going to give you a visual. We are going to watch another video. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the cuckoo bird or not, but by the end of this video, you probably won't be happy with them. Roll film. Cuckoo. 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 
just next door, in an even smaller nest, the female reed warbler incubates its four eggs. One of the brood is starting to hatch. However, it is not the young reed warbler. Two weeks ago, a female cuckoo, unseen by the reed warbler, dropped her egg into this nest. Now the young cuckoo hatches. As the first of the brood, the reed warbler did not notice the trick and now feeds the young as if it were its own. The young cuckoo needs to throw the other eggs out of the nest. If it doesn't do this, then the parents will not be able to feed all the nestlings. But the first attempts are not successful. The cuckoo is still too weak. It tries again. It must push the egg above the edge of the nest. It is a big effort. The determination of the weak cuckoo nestling to get rid of the competition is amazing to see. After a few hours, it has another go. This time, there's some success. The first egg landed in the water. When it throws out the second egg, the cuckoo almost follows it out of the nest itself. Now, for the last one. Alone at last. The ever-open bright red beak and the constant peeping from the cuckoo prompts the reed warblers to bring it food without a break. Now all the insects and spiders end up in its beak. With such intensive feeding, the young cuckoo reaches its adult size in just two weeks. It is so large that when it sits on the nest, it must hold tight so it doesn't fall off. In a strong wind, the nest may even break apart under its weight. Although the cuckoo is by now much bigger than the reed warblers, they still treat it as if it's one of their own nestlings. Even after it has left the nest, they will still feed it. end of August, the young cuckoo will start its lonely journey to Africa. It will return next spring, maybe even to the same weed bed, and try to toss an egg into a reed warbler's nest. <laughs> Perfect. So, in my view, that was a, that's an, an ugly, ugly little cuckoo bird. Uh, so that's why I 
I used that, that video clip, but the idea is we have this battle going on inside of us, right? And God has given us the opportunity to choose which nature we're going to feed, right? This is Romans 7, Romans 8. There are two natures at war within us. And we choose which nature we get to feed. Um, you know, we're not like the, the warblers. Uh, we, we figured it out. Hey, there's, there's a foreign entity in here. Uh, there's something going on. And we have this option to feed the, the spirit in our lives, right? We have this option to think about the things that the spirit would have us think about, right? Uh, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the spirit. So we have to be very careful about which nature we feed. Because whichever nature we feed becomes the stronger nature. It makes it very difficult for the other nature to survive within us. Right? So if we want our bodies to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, if we want God's presence to be with us, if we want God to manifest himself in powerful ways through us, then we need to be feeding the Spirit in our lives, right? We need to be disciplined. We need to be vigilant. We need to be very careful about the things that we think about, about the things that we bring into our lives, about the, the ways in which we allow ourselves to be distracted. We have to be very, very careful about which nature we're feeding with all the things that we are doing. With our attitudes, with our coworkers, with our, the, you know, the way that we spend our leisure time, with our, our attitude that we have, with our work that we do, getting to a place where we're being responsive to the Holy Spirit and let me remove the mystery from that. Being responsive to the Holy Spirit is I'm sitting there and suddenly a thought pops into my mind. Go and show that person love. I can be fairly confident that that is a nudging from the Holy Spirit. Because that is something that God would want me to do. That is in alignment with what I know of the heart of the Father. Um, I'm sitting there and I think, um, I'm going to make sure that I get my way in this relationship. Not a nudging from the Holy Spirit not being responsive to God. Because that's not God's agenda for you to get your way in a relationship. Okay? 
So, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. This is praying the things that God would have you pray. Praying for Ukraine in the way that God would have you pray. Praying for your work situation in a way that God would have you pray. Praying for your family member in a way that God would have you pray. So that might mean you might need to dig in the scriptures a little bit. You might need to ask your Christian friends, how, how would I pray for this person, this situation? What should my demeanor be? What should my posture be going into this? Searching for the scriptures. And right, right we know the scriptures are they're alive. And what we mean by that is they pertain to your situation as you bring it to God and say, this is what I'm trying to figure out. And you, you read and you read and you read and God enlightens the scripture and speaks to you. Right? We're in the body of Christ together. And so God has given the people around you actually some insight there are some people that are especially gifted with insight and discernment that you can go and ask and say, help me figure out this situation. So this is how we learn to pray in the Spirit. This is how we learn to be filled with the Spirit, by stepping into obedience, by learning what it is that the Spirit has in mind. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 tells us that God will complete the work that he has begun in us. God will complete. His promise to us is that he will complete the work that he has begun in us. So when we're deciding which nature to feed, God is on our side. God is helping us. God is with us. When we feed the nature of the Spirit, it grows much faster than the sinful nature. The sinful nature is already there. It's already full grown in us. Right? But when we, when we feed the Spirit, the Spirit grows quickly. The Spirit grows in powerful ways. Right? Jesus tells us we just need a mustard seed of faith. We just need a, a little step of obedience. God can do amazing, extraordinary things with small steps of obedience. Uh, Romans 8, 11, we just read this earlier. Right, it explains to us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within our mortal bodies. Uh, resurrection power is, well, it's impressive. It is impressive. So sometimes we get the feeling like, I'm never going to kick this habit. I'm never going to actually be able to love this person God is calling me to love. But God says, hey, I'm with you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you, is alive within you. All you have to do is just start accessing it. Get in the habit of accessing that power that is within you by thinking about the things that the Spirit would have you think. Now, the first day you try this, 
it's probably not going to go as well as you hoped. You know, you might be five minutes in before you start thinking about things that the Spirit probably wouldn't be thinking about. But maybe if you do that for a few days, you start to figure out, oh, this is actually a better way to live. This following the Spirit thing, this thinking about what the Spirit would have me think about. In Acts chapter 1, and by the way, we are officially beginning a series on the book of Acts. Um, Starting in verse 4, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, talking about Jesus here, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? They want to know about the end of the story. And by the way, we're doing a series on Revelation uh, in the fall. We'll get to that. It's a common question of disciples. We want to know. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So, if you want to know the conclusion of the series in the fall, there it is right there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus, the story goes like this, Jesus came, died, and was raised again so that we could have fellowship with the Father. So that we could experience the incredible fellowship that God experiences within himself. God wants to share that with you and I. An incredible story. And he has chosen, in order for us to to truly sort of get it, that there needs to be this faith element. And he has chosen that we will participate in seeing other people come to a place of faith. And so he sends us out as witnesses to what he has done in our lives, to what he has done in the world. But he knows that this is a difficult thing. He knows that there is a very strong enemy that is trying to defeat this purpose. And so he knows that he will have to help us. But he wants to help us because in helping us, we will begin to experience, we will begin to taste what it means to be in fellowship. And so he has his disciples wait in Jerusalem. They know the mission. He's already told them, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They know the mission. They've seen Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. They know how it works. They know how to preach repentance. They know how to call people into the kingdom of God, but he wants them to wait because he wants to fellowship with them in mission. 
And he wants to empower them and enable them in supernatural ways to do extraordinary things. And so he has them wait. And this really is the first step to being filled, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is obedience. Obedience, waiting on God, waiting for his lead, waiting for his presence before we move into action. And so what is their posture? Verse 14, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. That was how they waited. They gathered constantly together in prayer. I'm right now going to do a shameless plug for an event that we have every Wednesday at noon. It's called prayer. Uh, we meet in the gathering room, but if we run out of room there, we can move in here. We could do this thing where we gather together constantly in prayer. And we could wait for, ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us so that we could be powerful witnesses in our community, so that our community could be a different place, could be a place that honors God first, so that our country could return to a culture that followed those words, in God we trust. <clears throat> Karl Barth, who is sort of like the father of evangelical theology, makes this comment about prayer. He says, to clasp hands in prayer is to begin an uprising against the disorder of this world. Uh, to clasp hands in prayer is to begin an uprising against the disorder of this world. I kind of have a, like a militant, bent personality. Uh, so this idea sort of attracts me to prayer. Uh, for me to be reminded of the fact that I'm, I'm entering into warfare. And my prayers have a significant impact because of who I am praying to. You might be aware of this, uh, but we've, in, in uh, 1991, 90, I think, right in that area, we entered into uh, what we call a desert storm. And uh, this was one of the times when we, our military rolled out some, some new technology. And it was really extraordinary. For us, I think it's probably commonplace today, but um, before the battle began, before the enemy knew the battle had begun, uh, we, spent, we, we sent in a number of special operations forces uh, behind enemy lines, totally covert. Uh, they didn't know we were there, only our, you know, Top-level folks knew that they were there. And they had these little lasers. And they 
shown, though they focus those lasers on specific targets. And the reason that was important was because we had something called a laser-guided missile uh, that allowed us to be very precise in our bombing of Iraq. As a result of this, we just totally, totally overwhelmed them. They were the fourth largest, uh, fourth or fifth, depending on which sort of you know, article you read, but fourth or fifth largest army at the time. And there was a lot of doubt about whether or not we would be able to easily handle the Iraqis. Uh, but because of these special operations forces and because of the laser-guided missiles, we took out basically all of their strategic defenses that would have given us any major problems. And so surrender after surrender after surrender after surrender. It was a total cakewalk. They turned out to be a, a paper tiger. Um, when I pray, when we pray, that's what we need to be thinking of, right? God gives us this little laser to go and direct the power of God on things. And he, he calls us to pray in the Spirit, to know the heart of the Father, and to be praying for those things. Because his promise is that he will answer our prayers. Did you know that? That is his promise to us, that he will be faithful to us, that he will answer our prayers. Luke chapter 11. And starting in verse 5, uh, this is just after the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. It says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, <laughs> if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. God has a good sense of humor. Uh, he created humor, by the way. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It might be good to read this every time before you pray. Just to remind yourself that someone is listening on the other end. Someone cares about what you are praying. Someone is inviting you into the spiritual victory that will definitely happen. Someone is inviting you to use their authority in this world, in your world, in your situation. You fathers, he goes on, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God wants to be with us. 
God wants us to win. He wants us to experience defeating the sinful nature within us. God wants us to win. Let's join him in that by entering into prayer for ourselves, for our own purity, for our culture, for our family. Let's enter in. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your heart for us, that you desire for us to experience victory and freedom. Father, we pray that you would help us to latch onto that every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. From Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.